the Go podcast is brought to you by The Sanctuary. For more information, please visit www.thesanctuarychurch.com. So glad to be with you this morning. I realize we are starting out, we're actually week two, but we're in the very beginning of a new series called Upside Down, and we're walking through the Beatitudes. If you have your Bible, open it up right now to Matthew chapter five. You can grab your tablet or your phone or however you access the Bible. My wife stopped reading the Bible. She has it read to her. Man, this is amazing. She just, I see her, I, I just listen to this. She's having her quiet time in the morning and there's the Bible being read to her. So it's, it's wonderful ways that we have the Bible to us, right? Hearing, hearing the word, right? Faith comes by hearing. Well, have you ever considered uh, this morning, have you ever considered uh, why you're afraid of grief? You ever considered why you're afraid of grief? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pose some questions to us this morning, beloved. I love you. Uh, I am for you. But I know that for me, I, I remember when I was just so afraid as I descended into my grief, uh, trying to uh, process and mourn the back-to-back deaths of two of my friends, my brother and my friend, in 10 days between each other. I had a lot of grief that was in there. And I just, I, I don't know about you, it just, it felt like fear, you know? And so I, I, I remember saying to myself, if I start, I won't stop. You ever felt that? Where if I, if I begin to process this, if I let this out, it's going to be a mess. You know, the, you know what my wife calls it, ugly crying. It's like, I was ugly crying. I, I've, I've had those ugly crying moments, right? Well, an author named C.S. Lewis, beautiful writer, he, he said that God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. What's odd for me is, it really freaks me out, is that God is seemingly silent in our grief. It's like, I, I, and please know, emphasis is on seemingly. I know he's with me. It just seems like I'm all alone. You know, it's like, have you ever gone to God in a place of sorrow or despair? You're having a hard time, and it feels like the door is just slammed, closed to you. You're like, hey, God, and all of a sudden you hear this, <laughs> the, the deadbolt locks, and you're like, wait, I really need to talk to you right now. And it just, it just seems like God is not available. In fact, it really gets tough when it seems like God is so available to everybody else, but he's just not available to me. He's absent when I need him the most. The difference, I believe, is a matter of distance. Our perspective changes as we observe pain, when we are looking at it from the outside. We would all describe pain very differently while we're in it versus or compared to when we're looking back at it. It's like while I was in the pain, it was incredible. And now that I'm outside, I go, that was a bad season. Now, now that I'm done with it, that was just bad. But when I was in it, it was a terrible, terrible time. Today, I want to unpack what it's like when we're in it. 
So I hope you'll I hope you'll keep pace with me this morning. Open up your app because I'd like to offer some perspectives on grief and mourning this morning. Mourning this morning. Uh, I'm hoping to prepare us to process the thoughts and feelings that come as we experience loss and change. Now, grief and mourning are super important to understand. So let's find out what Jesus has to say about it, right? Jesus sees the crowds forming. He sits down with his disciples and he teaches them. He teaches them the Beatitudes. In Matthew chapter five, starting in verse three, it says this, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus is short and sweet on this first part of this sermon. He opens up. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He sits down, he's teaching his disciples, and these, this is the opening lines. It's like shots across the bow. It's like, wow, where is he going with this, right? Well, we have to keep in mind that this second beatitude, Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be satisfied. They will be comforted rather. They'll be comforted. It, it's this set. It, it's kind of, again, we're just opening up this thing called the beatitudes. And, and for the longest time, quite honestly, I always wonder what the heck is beatitude? I always thought it was the attitude to be, you know, but beatitude is Latin for beatitudinum right? Which means an extreme, a state of extreme blessedness or bliss, right? But, he, but here's the key to this blessedness. And anytime you see to be blessed in the Bible, we have to keep this in mind because it means it, it's essentially something, somebody coming up to you and shaking your hands. Congratulations for what? You won the lottery, but I, I didn't, I didn't play the lottery. Yeah. Someone at work bought you a ticket and put it in your name and you won. You are Blessed. Blessed is when I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to deserve it. That's what we have to understand. When we ask for God's blessing, and listen to what it says, God blesses those. God blesses those. It's like, wow, I'm blessed, but I didn't do anything for that. God just pours out his blessing. Well, like the first blessing, Jesus seems to have it all upside down as far as I'm concerned. Here it is again. I mean, who really wants to mourn? I don't want to mourn. I want to be happy. And I think that's why this really needs to be explored, this, this connection between blessing and mourning, right? Blessed are those who mourn. In order to respond to what Jesus is talking about here and what he means, we have to understand a few things. And the first one is this, grief. This is a tough one. Grief is the normal and natural reaction to the change or the end of a familiar pattern of behavior, Grief is the internal symptoms that are inside me. I feel these things. It's the thoughts and feelings that come with loss. Now that starts at two years old when we take away your binky. And, ah, 
I feel, I feel a loss, right? Or you take away your blanket, right? And then it continues when you, you, your bike gets a flat tire, right? Those, these are losses. It continues through life. We, we will all encounter grief. What we do with that grief is huge. Because I can't tell you for myself, I talk to people all the time. You go, oh, I haven't cried in like probably 10 years. I'm like, wow, you are unhealthy. We're going to explore that in a little bit. The processing of grief is so important. In fact, it's the second beatitude. God blesses those who mourn. That's what mourning is. Mourning is the external expression of those thoughts and feelings of grief. The process of dealing with those thoughts and feelings. We're supposed to deal with it. But I can't tell you how many people, oh, I don't cry. I, man, I, 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 there's no way. I don't, I don't do that. Really? Oh, let me say it this way, because it's not just the men who say, I don't cry. It's, oh, I don't ever cry. I never cry. I, I, I refuse to do that. I'm like, wow, there, there is a brokenness in all of us to some extent. And here's why. Because I don't want to feel that pain. I don't want to grieve. I, I, I feel it. So if you're filling in your apps this morning, here's your first notes for us this morning. We need to know this. Grief is, oh, you're not going to like this word, inevitable. It's coming for you. It's going to happen. And I'm sorry, I apologize. I'm the bearer of these, this news here, but eventually something grievous is going to happen to all of us. We're going to have something occur to us that there is a loss. There is the end of something, right? Well, the problem is that most people do whatever is necessary to avoid it. Some will attempt to ignore it, but try as we might, grief is happening. There's grief that happens to us because things are ending and things are, here's the easiest form of grief, change. When things change, which welcome to life, it's changing all the time. That's when grief happens. And grief doesn't really end, but again, it changes. Grief can change over time. And that's what mourning is for. Mourning is to process the grief. Grief isn't a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. It's a sure sign of love. Listen to me when I tell you this, because where there is deep grief, there was or probably still is deep love. It's I loved this thing. People will grieve over a roller coaster get, gets closed. Oh my gosh, that was my favorite roller coaster. I went out as a kid. How could they tear that down? Right? And, and it's a process. Now, we would normally, you know, you say, well, how could somebody grieve over a roller coaster? Well, it's, it's, that's their grief. We have all kinds of things that we grieve over. But by declaring this blessing on those who mourn, Jesus lets us know that grief is a normal part of the followers' life, his followers' lives, of their faith experience. Grief is universally human. What is so often missing, again, is mourning. Grief makes no distinction between race or creed or color. Grief touches the young, the old, the rich, the poor, male, female. Nobody is immune to the touch of grief. Everybody grieves because at some point, everybody experiences loss, a change or, or failed expectations. I really thought that was going to happen. So disappointment, that's a form of grief. There's even a slice of Christianity out there that believes that if you have faith in Christ, well, then you're exempt from this kind of suffering. But that's not true. Even the strongest of believers will face times of the shadow, the valley of the shadow, or dark nights of the soul. 
the notion that seasons of mourning are inevitable isn't very appealing to me. And that's why I find Jesus' words so disturbing. I'm like, really? Blessing comes with mourning? Because I don't want to mourn the process of grief. I don't want to feel the grief. I don't want to process it. I don't want to bring the grief up. Okay, let's deal with the grief. What, what is he thinking when he brings this up? It's like sitting at a graveside, right? And you're listening to the officiant, right? And he says, oh, death, where is thy sting? And you're like, hey, pal, like all around, do you see we're in a cemetery, right? I mean, if you don't see, the sting of death is everywhere. And here's this group of mourners as they're burying their uncle and another group of mourners and they're crying and they're crying and they're burying their grandma and they're burying their husband and they're, they're, the graveyard, it's not just bodies in the ground, but bodies being put into the ground. I'm thinking, are you serious? Well, the problem is, that I look at it and I go, I don't know that anybody would say, oh, yeah, I, I love the sharp pain of mourning. That's a true blessing in my life. It's just not there. But are those who mourn blessed because they enjoy mourning? Is it like these like kind of cracked people? It's like, oh, I really love to cry. I mean, you've heard, I've, I've even said it. Nothing like a good cry, right? It's just, I just need to get that out. All we need to do is stop and really consider Jesus' words here. Just, just look at them a little more carefully, and it becomes clear that the blessing is not in the morning. That's not where the blessing is. It's in something else. The blessing is in the payoff because God blesses those who mourn. Listen to this, for they shall be comforted. That's where the blessing comes. Not in the morning, but in the comfort. Now, I'm going to encourage you to write something down that's not in your app, but I want you to write this down. If we want healing for the pain, we're going to have to start dealing with the pain. Man, that's one of those things you want to write down in the front of your Bible. You know those blank pages that are in your Bible that are just kind of sitting there. They have these blank pages. What are these for? It's for moments like this. If we want healing for the pain, we got to start dealing with the pain. Listen, th this is just like the first beatitude. We have to admit that we have a need. We have to admit that there is pain. Now, all of us are going to do whatever we have to do to stay away from experiencing that pain. But the result that comes from recognizing and admitting that we have a need is comfort. And ultimately, that's what I want. I, I want my binky back. And if you don't give me my binky, I'll use my thumb. See, see, I, I just want comfort. Comfort is, is, it's either something that we give to others or comfort is something that we receive from others. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this. He's talking to them about comfort. And look what he says. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, and he's the source of, here it comes, all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others. Do you see the purpose of his comfort for us? So that we might comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort that God has given us. Very rarely is comforting something that we're supposed to be doing for ourselves. 
Please hear this. We do this all the time. We're, we're tempting all the time. It's like, well, you know what? I, I'm not being comforted, so I'm going to comfort myself. Some Southern comfort, right? Right? I'm not being comforted enough, so I'm going to I'm going to smoke some comfort. I'm going to eat some comfort. I'm going to spend some comfort. I just need something. So we all have what I would call our sturbs. We've got them. Those short-term energy-relieving behaviors. It's like, ugh. But honestly, that's a temporary fix. We all know it. We've experienced it. We're experiencing some grief. Inside, those are the thoughts and feelings, right? And we're like, ah, what do I do? And so I eat my emotions. That's my, that's my hang up. Some people, again, spend their emotions. Some people blow out and they get angry because they don't know what to do with the feelings inside. Other people just collapse and they cry. And then the angry person goes, why are you crying? You know, it's like everybody's got to deal with their, their grief differently. The attempt to fix ourselves is so true, but, but I want you to hear something. The morning that Jesus has in mind here is a special kind of morning. It's very specific. And the difference is in your next blank. Fill this one in. Morning is spiritual. I need you to hear this, beloved. I love you. Please hear me. I know this is difficult stuff, but I want you to walk into it with courage, right? Jesus promises a blessing to those who mourn. Because mourning is deeply spiritual. It's supposed to touch our soul. It's, again, that cleansing cry moment. It's like, oh, I just need to get that out. And it's not always tears, so I know I'm focusing on that. That's just often what mourning turns into. It, there are these things that God put inside of our eyeballs, right? Right there called tear ducts. They're there for a reason. We're supposed to use them. But I don't, I don't cry. No, we don't cry. Because we have songs that say, big boys don't cry, right? I mean, we're told, hey, we don't do that. No, Jesus says we do. I'm going to go with what he's got here. And listen, death is probably the most obvious cause of grief. Death, all right, right? That's what, when we know, okay, change, right? There's an end of a certain pattern of behavior. It's a change. It's a loss. We recognize that. But you know what? It's not the only source of grief. Again, divorce. Whether it's my own divorce or the divorce of my parents or my aunt and uncle got divorced or, you know, it happens all kinds of ways, right? And again, loss of a job. But how often do we grieve over the living? That, that's what's been happening in 2020. Our living, we're so upside down, but I'm telling you, you just take one look at the world today and you can, listen, I will tell you one cure, <laughs> salt water. We need to cry, right? Listen, there, there is a whole lot of crazy going on. And I believe, personal opinion here, it's because so much grief is bottled up inside of our cultures. We don't know what to do with all the things that we're feeling. And what we need to do is mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. But we got all this grief bottled up because, well, you know the list of things that have happened in 2020. Beyond COVID, because of COVID. Watch how Paul talks about grieving for the living. Look at this. He says this in 2 Corinthians. I will be grieved because many of you have not given up your old sins. See, he's grieving over with the living. You haven't repented for your impurity. 
the sin of your sexual immorality, the eagerness for lustful pleasures. Sometimes we, we grieve over the sinful actions of others. Now, if you're a parent, you probably know how Paul felt toward the Corinthians here. His reaction is parental in nature, right? Paul has serious concerns because there's one person in the Corinthian church, the church of Corinth, who is living in sin and ongoing sin and congregations indifferent. What's the big deal? So what? And you're like, well, what kind of sin are we talking about? In a previous letter, he, he addressed this position with the congregation. Check it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is addressing this sin. He says, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual, here it comes, sexual morality going on among you. Something even pagans don't do. I'm told that there's a man in your church who's living in sin with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be, here's this word, mourning in sorrow and shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. Bam! What? Paul seems probably a bit harsh to the modern ear. And we go, where's the grace? What about grace? Jesus said grace. At first pass, this might seem inconsistent. But you bring it alongside Paul's other writings and you go, oh, this makes perfect sense. What else does Paul have to say about people walking in sin? Check this out in the book of Galatians. He's writing to the church in a place called Galatia. And he says this. Dear brothers and sisters, my beloved. See, that's beloved. Dear brothers and sisters. Beloved, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should, ooh, I love this right here, gently and humbly. Sneak peek, that's next week. Oh, oh that just made a great rhyme. That's meek next week. There's even more rhyming. Okay, gently and humbly. Help that person back onto the right path and be careful, watch this, not to fall into the same temptation yourself. This is such good practical instruction, and yet it comes with a warning. Now, in the original language, this phrase, back on the path, is the word restore. Restore. And it means to bring something back to its former condition. The word is this word restore is the word that's used when a bone is reset. See, we're bringing it back. That's the kind of discipline that Paul is commanding that the church is supposed to practice. The action wasn't supposed to be punitive. It's supposed to be restorative. We want to restore this guy. Tell him to knock it off. That is inappropriate. The long-term goal is not to put him out, but to bring him back to his former condition. But it has to be addressed. And while we may not go as far as the Corinthians did, boasting about sinners in the church... The church today is silent about sin. We consider those, well, that's a personal thing. You know, I really can't say anything about that. H have you ever wondered why it's so hard for us to hold one another accountable for our sin? One reason is because we believe it disrupts relationships. The real tragedy, I think, is that the presence of sin has already disrupted our relationship. The Bible says that when we walk in the light as he is in the light, that's when we have fellowship with each other. See, as long as there's darkness and shadows between us, we're really not in fellowship with one another. But again, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. But there's a more subtle and I think a more personal reason we don't want to deal with the sin in the church. I think it parallels what Jesus is talking about in this second beatitude. We ignore and minimize the sin of others because 
we've never really learned to mourn our own sin. I, I don't know how to, you know, I mean, who am I to judge that person? Because, I mean, I have my own thing, you know, that I have to deal with. Well, then deal with it so that you can help and come alongside and restore. By the way, the opposite is also true. Failure to honestly deal with our own sin can also make us very harsh toward the sin of other people, and that's just as bad. Jesus had more to say about that, in fact. Later in this same sermon on the mount, he talks about this in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4. Watch what he says. He says, why are you worried? You're so freaked out about the speck in your friend's eye when you got a log in your own. How can you think of saying to your friend, hey, let me get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't even see past the log in your own eye? In order for us to properly grieve over the sins of others, we need to grieve over our, other, over our sins first. And, and I think about it, I, I think about this concept. And it reminds me of when flight attendants give their speech, you know, right when you get on the plane, about buckling seat belts and finding exits and using your seat cushion as a flotation device. Listen, if this plane's going down, I'm not looking for my seat cushion. Uh, here's what I'm doing. Oh God, get ready to receive me now. I mean, it's over. If this plane's going down, I'm praying. I'm not going, oh, there's the lighted row there, and there's the exits over the, uh, it's just not happening. So I'm like, listen, babe, I love, thank you, sir, for bringing these instructions, but really, but then there's something in the midst of that speech that has always impressed me. It's, it's both wise and common sense. You've seen it, right? They go, they go, in case there's pressure change, boop, something will drop from the, the cabinet above you. And you're to take that, right? And you just pull on it and you put that over your head and, and, and then they say this, and if you have a child sitting next to you or someone acting like a child, make sure you put on your own mask first and then bring assistance to them. That is so wise because here's what happens. If I can't take care of me, watch this, this sounds very selfish. I have to be able to take care of me if I'm going to properly help them. Because when cabin pressure goes out in an airplane, for instance, what the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to go unconscious. Well, the little person who can't reach the oxygen mask can't put on your oxygen mask now. That's why you have to take care of yourself first. Then you can help that other person. See, because they might be passed out by that point. This is so important. If this should happen in our marriages. I, I believe it should happen with our rest. I think Jesus says this, listen, you need, to, you need to make sure that you're well rested. Come to me, you who are weary. I want to give you some rest, right? He says, take care of yourself. Then you can take care of others. Hey, mom, talking to you. Hey, dad, talking to you. You can't take care of the rest of the family unless you're taking care of yourself first, Jesus uses that reasoning here. And it's that we can't help somebody else deal with their sin until we face our own sin first. That's what that log and speck is like. Hey, let me come take care of that speck in your eye. I, uh, let me get this log out of my... No, it's, it's trouble. And I think what's really necessary in all cases, both with this God blesses those who mourn, but also this sin issue within the churches, we need holy mourning. Again, I told you that mourning is spiritual. It's designed to touch the soul. We're supposed to feel these things, but we push down those feelings. You've, we, we have funny names for those people. Oh, I'm just a stuffer, right? Stop being a stuffer. God blesses those who mourn. You've got grief. You got to deal with that grief. 
And I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying we need to make a public display of sin. You know, come in front of the church and weep at the altar. And because, listen, there's nothing wrong necessarily with, with doing that as long as it's sincere. Weeping can be good, but it's not the guarantee of repentance. Paul, going back to Paul, he was talking to the church in Corinth. He even said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He addresses that very thing about crying and repentance. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. Though I was at first, because I know it was painful to you. And for a little while, now I'm just glad that I sent it. Not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. You weren't harmed by us in any way. Because the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. See, the broken heart is the problem that keeps us from embracing this idea of mourning. Who wants a broken heart? I I don't want a broken heart, right? But that's what he's saying. He goes, listen, this sorrow leads to repentance. That's why, again, mourning is spiritual. It's for us to feel bad for the things that we've done. Paul says, wash your hands, you sinners. Repent. Feel for what you've done. Understand where you stand before God. Have you ever broken your arm? Broken your foot? Broken your nose? When has a broken anything felt good? But I'm asking you, beloved, listen to me today. I'm asking that your hearts be broken. That our hearts be broken over the things that we have done, yes, but the things that are happening, the end of things that are going on in our lives, that something has changed. The normal is not around anymore. People are moving. I have more friends living outside, more of my California friends living outside of California now, right? U-Haul has made a haul this last year, right? They just hauled it all in, right? They're hauling in the money because everybody's, I got a bar. They have no more uh, one-way trucks now. You only can use them around town, right? Because they're all, all over the country, but not in California. But see, this morning that I'm asking us to consider, this morning that I'm asking us to process the grief, again, grief is what's inside. Mourning is what you do with it. I need to process that. Most of us go, it's it's an American culture thing. You know what? I don't have time for this. I'll deal with it later, and we stick it up on a shelf. I don't have time to grieve. I can't mourn, not right now. I have things to do, people to see, places to go. It's important for us to hear that the promise that Jesus gave to the morning, to this morning, that there is a promise connected to it. And it's your last fill in the blank. Fill this one in, please. Mourning is temporary. Mourning is temporary. It's not forever, folks. (laughs) He says, we will be, will be comforted. In other words, listen to me, it's a matter of time. But please know that even that comfort, the comfort that God gives to us, even that is temporary. Ultimately, there is only one, listen to me, beloved, here's where the hope comes comes crashing through. There is only one pure remedy for grief, and that is the comfort of being in God's presence. In Revelation chapter 21, Jesus says he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. 
Listen to this. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. All these things are going to be gone forever. And then Jesus says this, ready? Behold, I'm creating all things new. I go, oh man, I'm, I'm waiting for that one. Though we may sometimes doubt it, the promise of that day is certain. Our tears of sorrow over sin, our tears of sorrow over change, over the end of normalcy, over just loss, those will all be gone and we will be in God's presence. And in his presence, here's the promise, is fullness of joy. But for now, our sojourn is a trail of tears. Often winding through the valley of the shadow of death. But only for a time. There are two responses this morning I have for us. The first one is this. Gina Thompson, it was in the announcements you heard Pastor Ashton talk about. Gina Thompson is starting a grief recovery class. In Jesus' name, please hear me when I tell you this. I had no idea this would time out the way it did. I literally, this teaching, I decided, you guys know, I decided back in November when I was going to do this, right? This teaching was coming, and I was going to be doing grief, and this is what's happening. Starting Tuesday, February 2nd, between uh, February 2nd and March 23rd, Gina Thompson is having a grief recovery class. And for those of you interested, man, please go to thesanctuarychurch.com backslash grief. Please register for this. Please do that. I, I, I want us to process the grief. There is a lot of grief. And if you find yourself being unreasonable, if you find yourself being kind of crazy, like what was I thinking right there? It, it could be that grief has gripped you. This last week, I put out a survey. In fact, it's in your app this morning. I put out a video to just ask you, do you have grief that you need to deal with? It's, it's a quick survey. It's only four questions, but it's a quick video. It's two and a half minutes. Please listen to that because I believe God wants us to deal with this grief. In order to do that, we're going to have to mourn. But here's the, bless, the best part. Blessed are they who mourn. They'll be comforted. Let's get some comfort. Second group of people are those of you who need to mourn your sin. You are far from God and you know it. You pray and the Bible says this, that your prayers feel like a brass ceiling. Like, like it just bounces off. Like God isn't listening to me at all. And that's sin. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that is easily resolved, quickly resolved. All you have to do, ready? Ask. Nothing more. Oh, I don't have to memorize any scripture. No, no, no. All you got to do is, God, would you come into my life, restore me, make me whole, bring me back to the way I should be. See, I'm not looking at regret. Oh, I should have done, should have done, should have done in my past. No, I'm looking at what could be done with Jesus in my life. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, would you consider that today? Just pray with me, in fact. Say, you know what? I got to have Jesus. I need this. I've got to change. I have to repent. There has to be mourning for my life that, you know what, this, this life needs to end and Jesus' life needs to come, not just live in me, but through me. Please know this. God made you for relationship and he gave you free will, so you got to choose. I don't want to have that relationship. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, where I want to do it, with who I want to do it. I'm going to do it. And then God said, yeah, okay, I'll tell you what. Since you can't make it right, how about if I let Jesus make it right for you? So he came along and he said, come. And accepting Jesus today, you make your relationship right with God. If that's you, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I ask in the name of Jesus 
that those who would pray even now, right here, hearing my voice, hearing these stories, hearing these scriptures, that as it's massaging and cultivating truth into their hearts and into their spirits, there would come a mourning. Mourning the sin, the error, the arrogance of doing what we want to do. And I pray that they would come even now, even in just praying this prayer with me, saying, yeah, that's what I want. Jesus, come into my life. Just say that. Jesus, come into my life. Let it be so. In Jesus' name, let it be done. 